Chapter Twenty Four of the Green Odyssey by Philip Jose Farmer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four. They were a magnificent sight. Those many cones pointing their skyscraping noses upward and their spreading landing struts sinking into the soft earth. Their white eternum metal gleamed in the sun, dazzling the spectator who happened to catch their radiance full in the eyes. They were glorious, embodying all the vast wisdom and skill of the greatest civilization of the galaxy. No wonder, thought Green, that I dance and howl while these people look at me as if I'm mad, and Amra, tears in her eyes, shakes her head and says something to herself. What can they know of the meaning of those splendors? What indeed? Hey! shouted Green. Hey! Here I am, an earthman. Maybe I look like one of these barbarians with my long hair and bushy beard and dirty skin, but I'm not. I'm Alan Green, an earthman. Of course they couldn't have heard him at that distance, even if somebody had been standing beneath the spaceships to hear him. But he howled with sheer exuberance, not worrying about wasting his breath and making himself hoarse. Finally Amra interrupted him. "'What is the matter, Alan? Have you been bitten by the green bird of happiness, which sometimes flies over these plains? Or has the white bird of terror nipped you while you slept last night upon the open deck?' Green paused and looked steadily at her. Could he tell her the truth? Now he was so near salvation. It was not that he was worried about her or the others stopping him from making contact with the expedition. Nothing could stop him now. He was sure of that. It was just that he hesitated to tell her that he would be leaving her. The idea of hurting her was agony to him. He started to speak in English, caught himself and switched to her language. Those vessels, they have brought my people from across the space between the stars. I came to this world in just such a vessel, a space roller, you might say. My ship crashed, and I was forced to descend upon this, your world. Then I heard that another ship had landed near Astoria, and that King Rausmig had put the crew in prison, and was going to sacrifice them during the Festival of the Sun's Eye. I had little time to get to Astoria before that happened. So I talked Miran into taking me. That is why I left you, that—' He trailed off because he did not understand the expression upon her face. It was not the great hurt he'd expected, nor the wild fury he thought might result from his explanation. If anything, she looked pitying. "'Why, Alan, whatever are you talking about?' He pointed at the line of spaceships. There from Terra, my home planet. I don't understand what you mean by your home planet, she replied, still pityingly. But those are not spaceships. Those are the towers built by the Astorians a thousand years ago. Wh what do you mean? Stunned, he looked at them again. If those weren't starships, he'd eat the yacht's canvas. Yes, and the wheels, too. Under the swift wind the roller swept closer and closer, while he stood behind Amra and thought that he'd break into little pieces if his tension didn't find some release. Finally it did find an outlet. 
tears welled in his eyes and he choked his breast seemed as if it would swell up and burst how cleverly the ancient builders had fashioned those towers the landing struts the big fins the long sweeping lines ending in the pointed nose all must have been built with a spaceship as a model there was no escaping such a conclusion coincidence couldn't explain it amra said don't cry alan your people will think you weak captains don't weep this captain does he replied and he turned and walked the length of the yacht to the stern and leaned over the taffrail where no one could see him as he shook with sobs presently he felt a hand upon his alan she said gently tell me the truth if those had been ships on which you could leave this world and travel into the skies would you have taken me along were you still thinking that i was not not good enough for you let's not talk about it now he said i can't besides there are too many people listening later when everybody's asleep all right ellen she released his hand and left him alone knowing that this was what he wanted mentally he thanked her for it because he knew what it was costing her to exercise restraint at any other time in the like situation she would have thrown something at him after he had calmed down somewhat he returned to the helm and took over from miran from then on he was too busy to think much about his disappointment he had to report to the port officer and tell his story which took hours for the officer called in the others to hear his amazing tale and they questioned miran and amra green anxiously listened to the merchant's account fearful that the fellow would disclose his suspicions that green was not what he claimed to be if miran had any such intentions however he was saving them for their arrival in astoria itself the officers all agreed that they had heard many wonderful stories from sailors but never anything to match this they insisted upon giving a banquet for miran and green the result was that Green got a much-needed and desired bath, haircut, and shave. But he also had to endure a long feast in which he had to stuff himself to keep from offending his hosts, and also was forced to enter a drinking contest with some of the younger blades of the post. His vigilante could handle enormous amounts of food and alcohol, so that Green appeared to the soldiers to be something of a superman. At midnight, the last officer had dropped his head upon the table dead drunk and green was able to get up and go to his yacht unfortunately he had to carry the fat merchant out on his shoulders outside the banquet room he found a few rickshaw boys standing around a fire huddled together waiting for a customer so drunk he wouldn't fear thieves or ghosts he gave one of them a coin and told him to deliver miran to the yacht what about yourself honored sir don't you wish to ride home too later said green looking up past the fort and at the hills behind it i intend to take a walk to clear my head before the rickshaw men could question him further he plunged into the darkness and began striding swiftly toward the highest peak upon the island two hours later he suddenly appeared in the moonlight drenched windbreak walked past the many vessels tied down for the night and crawled aboard his own yacht a glance around the deck convinced him that everybody was sleeping 
He stepped softly past the prostrate forms and lay down by Amra. Face up, his hands behind his head, he stared at the moon, a thoughtful expression upon his face. Amra whispered, Alan, I thought you were going to talk to me tonight. He stiffened, but did not turn his head to look at her. I was, but the officers kept us up late. Didn't Miran get here? Yes, about five minutes before you did. He rose on one elbow and looked searchingly at her. What? Is there anything strange about that? Only that he was so drunk he'd passed out and was snoring like a pig. The fat son of an Izot. He must have been faking, and he must have— Must have what? Green shrugged. I don't know. He couldn't tell her that Miran must have followed him up into the hills, and that if he had, the fellow must have seen some very disturbing things. He stood up and gazed intently at the dark form stretched out here and there. Miran was sleeping upon a blanket behind the helm, or was pretending to do so. Should he kill him? If Miran turned him in to the authorities in Astoria, he sat down again and fingered his dagger. Amra must have guessed his thoughts, for she said, Why do you want to kill him? You know why, because he could have me burned. She sucked her breath in with a hiss. Alan, it can't be true. You can't be a demon. To him the accusation was so ridiculous that he didn't bother to answer. He should have known better, because he was well aware of how seriously these people took such things. However, he was thinking so furiously about what he could do to forestall Miran that he completely forgot about her. Not until he heard her muffled sobs did he come out of his reverie. Surprised, he said, Don't worry, they're not going to burn me. No, they're not, she said, choking on every other word. I don't care if you are a demon. I love you, and I'd go to hell for you, or with you." It took him a few seconds to understand that she did believe he was a demon, and that it made no difference to her. Or rather, she was determined to ignore the difference. What a sacrifice of her natural feelings she must have made for him! She, like everybody on this world, had been trained from childhood to develop a fierce disgust and horror of devils, and to be always upon her guard for them when they appeared in human form. What an abyss she had to cross in order to conquer her deep revulsion! In a way, her feat was greater than crossing the chasm between the stars. Amra, he said, deeply touched, and he bent down to kiss her. To his surprise she turned her face away. "'You know my lips don't belch fire like the devils in the legends,' he said half jestingly, half pityingly, nor will I suck your soul into my mouth." "'You have already done that,' she said, still not facing him. "'Oh, Amra! Yes, you have. Else why should I follow you when you deserted me to run away on the bird? And why should I still want to follow you to be with you, even if those towers had turned out to be your what-do-you-call-em, and you had sailed away into the skies on them? 
Why would any decent human woman want to do that? Tell me. She, too, rose on an elbow, her face now turned to him. He scarcely recognized her. Her features were so twisted, and her skin was so livid. A hundred times during this voyage I've wished you would die. Why? Because then I wouldn't have to think about the time to come when you would leave this world forever, leave me forever. But when you were in danger, then I almost died, too, and I knew I didn't really wish your death. It was just wounded pride on my part, and I couldn't face the moment of your departure, or the fact that you must come from a superior race, a people more like gods than demons. Oh, I don't know what to think, whether you are a devil or a god or just a man who was somehow more of a man than any I knew. I could ignore such things as your wounds healing up faster than they should and scar tissues disappearing, but I couldn't ignore your knowledge that Aga would be killed if she touched that wall in the room on the cannibal's island, nor the fact that your teeth grew back in after they were knocked out during the escape from the island, nor your too obvious interest in those two demons held prisoner in Astoria, or— Not so loud, Amra he interrupted. You'll wake everybody up. All right, all right. Better to keep quiet and pretend to be stupid. But I can't. I'm not built that way. So what are you going to do, Alan? Do? Do? he repeated miserably. Why, somehow or other I'm going to free those two poor devils and escape in their spaceship. Devils? Then they are demons? Oh, no, that was just a matter of speaking. I said poor devils because of what they must have gone through in that barbarous prison. They might as well have been in the hands of the cannibals as at the mercy of the priests of this wretched planet. Yes, that's what you really think of us, isn't it? That we're all murderous, dirty, and stinking savages. Oh, not all of you, he replied. You're not, Amra. By any standards, you're a wonderful woman. Then why can't— She bit her lip and turned away from him. She would not humble herself by asking him to take her with him. It was up to him to make the offer. Green did not know what to say, though he knew that it was necessary to say something at once. He just could not make up his mind as to how she would fit into Earth civilization. How could he teach her that if somebody whom you didn't like differed with you, you just didn't try to tear them apart? Or that if the person you hated was too powerful for you to settle matters with personally, you didn't resort to professional assassins? How could he teach her to love the same things he did, the music and literature of his own culture? Her roots were in an entirely different culture. She couldn't possibly understand what he understood thrill to that which thrilled him, catch the subtleties that he caught, see what lay behind the nuances of his civilization. She'd be a stranger in a world not made for her. Of course, he thought there were plenty of women upon earth and her star colonies who didn't share his culture, even if they'd been brought up in it, but their case was simply a matter of taste and they could still share a certain amount with him just because they'd breathed the same atmosphere and talked the same words as he. Not that he would have cared to live with them, because he wouldn't. But Amra, 
desirable in so many ways, just would not understand what was taking place around her or in the minds of those she would have to live with. He looked down at Amra. Her back was turned, and she seemed to be breathing the easy breath of deep sleep. Though he doubted very much that she could be sleeping, he decided to accept things as they looked. He wouldn't answer her now, though he knew that when morning came her eyes would be asking the same question, even if she didn't voice it. At least, he thought, she'd been diverted from her curiosity about what he'd been doing that night. That was something. He didn't want anybody to know about that. Not until the time for action came. Provided, that is, he could do anything even then. He discovered certain things tonight that could mean his salvation if he could utilize them. That was the rub, as some poet or other had once said. Wondering just who had originated that saying, he fell asleep. Wool-gathering had always been a favorite occupation of his when people left him alone to do it. That was the rub. They didn't. End of chapter 24